Guess who's back? Back again. Saw something scary's back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to the new episode of Saw Something Scary. I'm your host. My name is Derek Zhu. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wright. And we are excited to be back in the studio after a prolonged absence. And uh, it's good to be back on the airwaves. Jeff, it's good to talk to you, man. How you been? Well, I've been missing doing the podcast, but I'll be honest, I, I was just sitting here listening to that musical introduction, and I didn't want that to end. So I'm on an emotional roller coaster, man. Good to be on the yeah. podcast. Bad to hear that uh, impromptu performance come to an end. Well, you know, maybe one day we'll just do a musical uh, episode. Yeah, I'll just listen. I'll uh, I'll compliment <laughs> here and there. You can just handle the rest of it. Perfect. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for being patient and being gracious to, enough to allow Jeff and myself to uh, to travel and do some vacations and, and things like that. We're back, and we are pumped to talk to, uh, to you guys today about Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix's newest movie, Joker. I know it's not technically a scary movie, but I think that there's a lot of implements in this movie that are scary, so I think it counts. For sure. It, I mean, it's, it's a it's as dark or disturbing uh, film as some of the torture stuff we've reviewed on here. You know, it, yeah. it, it gets there in different ways, but this isn't substantially different in terms of darkness of uh, theme than Martyrs or, or uh, good. Uh, what was that? Funny games? Not good games. Mm-hmm. Funny games. Yeah. So it, it may be a little outside our wheelhouse, but we've also reviewed Batman Returns. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Batman and Robin was definitely scarier I'm, than this movie. But sorry. Batman and Robin. No, no, My bad. You're fine. Um, they all start to blend together after a while, so it's no big deal. Um, before we get into it, though, man, let's go ahead and call in our favorite special guest, Wahlberg. Mark! Missed you, buddy. I know. It's been a while. So, Jeff, uh, I've seen this movie twice now. How many Me times too. have you seen it? Okay, so you've seen it twice as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, so... My initial reaction, you so you watched it opening night, correct? Like on that on that Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So you text me and and you were you. I wouldn't necessarily say that you were vague, but you were just kind of like, dude, it's it's a heavy movie. I'll be curious to hear what you think about it. Sounds and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I went and saw it on Friday. Um, I had had a day of travel and got to Nashville. Um, had had dinner with some friends, and then a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, why don't we go watch Joker?" and I should have said no because I knew that I was in. I wasn't in the right headspace to watch it, but I also was excited to see it because you and I have been trying to plan this this episode for the last two weeks. Um, so went and saw it and walked out of it going, "What was that?" Yeah. Um, and so I knew automatically, like I'm going to need to watch that movie again before I make any kind of rash judgments or decisions on it. I uh, saw it again over uh, over my vacation. And uh, I still feel the same way, <laughs> sure. but I feel like, but I feel like that my uh, I feel like that the the biggest thing for me uh, I, I guess let's start with with positives on this the biggest thing for me is what a masterful performance by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, man, it is unreal how good he is in this movie. I mean, we all know he's top shelf, and we knew he'd pull out all the stops, uh, but yet again. This guy just took the bar and set it set it higher. You know, I don't want to go too far afield here, but you and I both love Ledger's performance as the Joker in The Dark Knight. And I, you know, you tell me which one is better, but they are they're both two examples of like a guy took a comic book character and made something, if not transcendent, at least as close to transcendent as a film can get. I, I was just overawed at, at Joaquin Phoenix's performance. You, you want to talk about some of the specific elements? Uh, well, okay. So I saw this movie with uh, my friend Lucy and Lucy said this, and I, I think it's the best, the best review of the movie or of his performance that I've heard so far. Um, she said it was a masterclass of an actor dealing with mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to Christy. We we had a long drive home from our recent trip, and so she had went and saw it with me the second time. Uh, my wife, for those who might be tuning in who don't know that name. And um, I told her specifically something that is kind of a small pet peeve of mine. Not, I guess, not even rising to the level of annoyance. It's just something I've never believed in, is this idea that the eyes are the 
window to the soul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people say, oh, I can see it in their eyes or, or whatever. And I've always just been real pragmatic about that. And, you know, and I thought, well, I mean, pupils dilate, but whatever you're picking up on is a, is a product of facial movement. You know what I mean? And posture and whatnot. Sure. And so when you hear things like his eyes glazed over, I just thought, you know, that's that's not real. Uh, yeah. There's a scene, though, after Arthur uh, has come back to work. And the boss has called him in to like try to get the sign back from uh, that was taken when those street kids hit him with it. Mm -hmm. And the guy starts kind of chewing him out and he puts a grin on his face and his eyes glazed over. I've never seen a human being do it before, but it's completely reevaluate. It caused me to reevaluate how I think about the human eye glazing over. Yeah. I've never again, I've never seen anything like it before. And it's all walking. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing what like the headspace that he had to get into for this character um, to start the movie out with him, you know, applying the makeup and, and forcing himself to smile while crying was just I think that's the that's the tone that they set to make you realize like, oh, this isn't your regular run of the mill comic book movie. And I, I hate to even say run of the mill comic book movie, you know, like you and I are both huge fans of the MCU and, and we're both huge comic book fans and things like that. And so it's, you know, for, for, for us. Those are those are great movies. You know, yeah. I know that there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of backlash lately from certain directors and actors, which I, I think is laughable. You know that uh, these people are, are feeling like comic book movies are not art or not movies or whatever the situation is. But um, yeah, I mean, this is just a completely different movie, and I think I. I I, I didn't want to talk about this so early, but I think that it's a perfect way to transition into this. Uh, my biggest complaint about this movie was th- that I felt that they shoehorned the Batman mythology into it to make it a comic book movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I guess kind of like you, I, I'm not done gushing over Joaquin, but that is an appropriate time to talk about this. You know, they're talking now about a sequel to this movie. Yeah. And I think I think it's on the table that Joaquin would be like, no, that was a one off. Uh, he's that kind of guy. But I'm right. also going to hate the sequel before it starts, because yeah. this movie, again, like you said, shoehorns the Waynes in, but also attempts to shoehorn the Waynes in in a way that basically overturns everything we thought about Thomas Wayne. You know, this Thomas Wayne can't be an inspiration to Bruce unless mm-hmm. Bruce is also like delusional. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, I just, I don't want to see a world built around this movie, Yeah, but I really enjoyed watching this movie. I, you know, I, I was glad to go visit. I don't want to, I don't want to go back. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I so I, I I've told people that this movie is is um, a definitely a must see movie, and that I felt like that it's it's worth the time to go watch it. But if you're going as a comic book fan, it's probably not going to be your favorite movie. Sure. Um, but I've also told people that, uh, just like I said, my number one complaint is is that they shoehorned the DC mythos or the Batman mythos into this to to make it fit, you know. So Warner, I mean, basically, there, there's a quote that goes around that Todd Phillips says told Joaquin Phoenix, um, Warner Brothers just gave us fifty five million dollars. We're gonna go do whatever the f we want, and we're gonna call it a Batman movie. Yeah, and I mean, he, he did like they they did. For sure, you, know, you you could have you you could have not t- called him Joker. You could have not put the Waynes in it, and this movie would have been the exact same movie. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix would have had the exact same amazing performance. Uh, the only thing is, is that it probably doesn't open as big. It probably is, you know, it's probably opens it like film houses and you know and, and things like that. It doesn't get the big opening because it doesn't have the Warner Brothers backing behind it, or it doesn't have the DC backing behind it. Um, which is, I mean, frustrating because again, it's a amazing performance by Joaquin Phoenix, but, uh, but I'm with you, man. I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see a sequel to this. Um, I don't want to see a world where Thomas Wayne was, for lack of a better word, a, a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, but again, I feel like that maybe Thomas Wayne was looked at that way because our narrator through this whole thing is Arthur. Well, that's a great point, Derek. And I, 
I, I commend you for seeing that. But the thing is, um, the I, I really just I'm just going to draw on conversations with my wife. She she said, "What did Thomas Wayne do that was actually wrong in this movie?" And I told her that I get where she's coming from because if a guy shows up at my house making claims about my family and he lays hands on my kids and behaves the way Arthur does, when I run into him, I'm not saying I'm going to punch him in the face, but it's not going to be a friendly encounter, right? right. And I'm, I'm not going to be inclined to say, uh, hey, man, I need to get you some help. And you know what I mean? Like when, when somebody, again, puts hands on your kids, it, you're not inclined to be charitable, right? And right. I think that's what uh, Christie's read on the movie was picking up on. But the thing I was trying to tell her is, as someone who's never read the comics, Thomas Wayne has to basically be a combination of like Captain America and Mother Teresa. Sure. For his loss to provide his vigilante, vigilante son the kind of moral foundation that motivates him to oppose crime but not go too far. Yeah. And I think with the Thomas Wayne we have here, I don't want to be too political, but I think they're kind of playing off Trump imagery. You know, a mm-hmm. businessman who uh, who makes a political run. And, and you know, at one point, um, Wayne says something like, I'm going to lift these people out of poverty. You know, he's just very self-confident and yeah. thinks he can change the world. Um, there's a criticism that's been going around about Batman for a couple of years. I say a couple of years. It's probably been more like a decade now where they're like, he's just a, a privileged white dude who beats up on mentally ill people. Yeah. And if if we are in the world of the Joker with this Thomas Wayne, the only Batman we can have is a privileged white dude beating up on people with mental illness. Yeah. You know, there's no good. There's no objective good, no objective evil. And Batman becomes really uninteresting if you take yeah. away good and evil. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, and I think that the uh, the worst part of this movie for me is that we that Arthur's the hero. You know, is he, though? Because I get that, like, we feel sympathy for this guy. Uh, again, I'm, I'm drawing on previous conversations because my boss at the school also, we called each other as soon as we got out of it and, and talked yeah. over this for about an hour. Um, I feel sympathy towards Arthur right up until the point when he suffocates his mom. And, you know, it, it, it's it's really great filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells her, people said my laughter is a disorder and there's something wrong with me. That's not true. He then kills his mom, and he goes and stands in the sunlight. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like at that point, we were left going, okay, this guy has embraced the darkness. You know right. what I mean? Now, we can we can understand why. We can see how it was almost unavoidable. But, like, I think Phillips does a really good job of basically not playing to any sides here. Uh, Joker is a victim, and Joker is a victimizer. And he's... He's victimized and he has no agency. As soon as he takes agency, he starts hurting people. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard for me to really see him as the hero of the movie because I think the movie criticizes him in some ways. Uh, I mean, that's a val- that's a valid point. I I think that the way that I would counter that is because of that big chaos scene at the end where you know they they ram the they ram the uh, police car with the ambulance and he is. He is set up on this, you know, on this car in almost a Christ-like pose. And then he wakes up and he sees all this chaos and these people start cheering him and, and applauding him. And he's, you know, he puts the blood up on his face like an evil grin and starts dancing around and stuff. And these people are cheering him. And there's there's obviously, to me, it's just and this was my interpretation on the film. So you tell me where I'm, I'm wrong on this. But it was just basically like, hey, this guy is our... He's our savior. He's our he's our symbol. You know, we had so much talk about Batman being a symbol in the Nolan movies. Now we've got this symbol of chaos and anarchy and evil. But yet I always felt like that Todd Phillips uh, based him as the hero of the story. And and again, that could be because he is the narrator of the story. Yeah. So, you know, and anytime you're anytime you're telling a story about yourself, you're always the hero of the story, regardless of what's going on. So maybe that's where I'm getting that that whole attitude from. I I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And and I definitely felt that way. Um, I I guess for me, though, I never had sympathy for this guy because I knew what the end game was going to be. Yeah, see, I, there's so much there, man. And your idea of him as, you know, of Arthur is basically an unreliable narrator is a really good one that I hadn't considered. So I'm still chewing on that a little bit as we're talking. Um, 
So what I'm going to say is I think you're completely right that at the end of the movie, Joker has found his people and his mm-hmm. people has have found their avatar. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you there entirely. The thing I appreciate about this movie is I don't think I don't think this movie glorifies the people who are in power and who are, you know, I want to say successful, the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think it glorifies the people who are protesting and dissatisfied. Like we see both of the two classes in this movie uh, kind of at their ugliest. And so when I see when I see Joker finding his audience, I see his audience as, as people that this movie has rightly shown us are uh, are inappropriately willing to use violence, are hurting as many people as are being helped. You know, you, when the Waynes come stealing out of the theater before the they're shot in the alley, you see a dude who's just using the opportunity to steal a TV, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got people rejoicing in murder. Um, and so I've read, and I guess I'm colored by Phillips, I've read multiple times him saying, I, I'm as serious as I can be. I'm trying to send no cultural moment message with this film. And I think it's one of the things I admire about the film. I came away going, everybody, he's managed to do that. He's managed to give us a movie that doesn't play to whichever group you're going to identify on the right or the left, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's borne out by how some people are ticked at this movie because it portrays Antifa as monsters. And some people are ticked about this movie because it portrays the government uh, letting Arthur down as the monster. And I kind of like that this is a movie that everybody is upset about because it doesn't play to our simplistic, you know, current categories for uh, our cultural moment. Does that make sense? (sighs) Yeah, it does. It's it's (laughs) it's the wokest non-woke movie. Yeah. When, uh, you know, I, I was trying to get my handle around what I think the central idea of this movie is. And this is getting warmer. But, you know, when Murray comes into the dressing room right before Arthur goes on the show, he says twice, I'm, I don't believe he says, I don't believe in anything. I'm yeah. not political. And I really feel like this movie managed to not believe in anything and not be political. Yeah. So that's why when I see Arthur finding his his people there and uh, them finding him, I see it as just another huge loop around the sewer that he's, you know, he's draining into. Rather than we're supposed to see this guy as the hero. Okay, that's a long I mean, way it, to get that point across. So thanks well, for thanks for going it, with me on that. Well, but it's a great point. Um, and again, you know, I <coughs> excuse me, I uh, I definitely see where you're coming from on that, and that does kind of make me feel a little bit better about it. So yeah, I may be wrong, but I guess. I thought this was a movie that was going to fall into kind of simplistic cultural categories. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect Todd Phillips, quite frankly. I mean, I've enjoyed his comedy stuff. I didn't expect him to be able to transcend that. Yeah. And I feel like he did. And so I, it was part of what I was impressed with with the movie. Yeah, he does. He does an amazing job. Of course, you know, Todd Phillips has, has really tried to become more of a serious uh, director, you know, taking on serious roles and or serious films. Uh, lately, of course, you know, he also recently came out and said he's not doing comedy anymore because of society. It's hard to make a funny movie, which I, I totally disagree with. I think there's lots of funny things out there that aren't offensive. Um, but I also do kind of see where he's coming from on that. So sure. it's, uh, you know, it is a slippery slope anymore to, to be a part of, Yeah. but, um, well, uh, remind me because I want to talk about that some more, I, I think in that, I mean, it's not hard to figure this out if you watch the movie, but I think the the central idea of this movie is in his conversa- uh, Arthur's conversation or Joker's conversation with Murray at the end of the movie right before he shoots him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do think Todd has, I think he's hit on something pretty profound in this movie. Can, can we can we kind of empty the bag on Joaquin so we can leave Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> so sorry about that. I, mean, I understand. Sometimes allergies and coughing. Um, I think I'm a sucker for body transformation movies. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless. You a big machinist fan? Yeah, I like the machinist. That's the first time that I was like, oh, man, Christian Bale is something else. Like, yeah. he embodied guilt weighing on someone, I think, uh-huh. in the way it consumes you. Uh, but Joaquin obviously did the same thing here too. Did you notice? I'm sure you did. There was a there were several times where we see him from the back and he's sort of pressing his shoulders in and his spine out, mm-hmm. and he, he almost looks like a, a pterodactyl without wings. Yes. 
um, that it was just so disturbing to me to see a human body like that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to describe why it did, but I, there was that, yeah, that sensation of leatheriness and emaciation <laughs> and and really inhumanness. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is the most bone jarring visual in the entire film. Yeah, um, you know, even more so than like him point blank shooting Murray. Um, and you know, the things that were going on, I just, I know that there's that one scene where he's sitting by his locker and and they've they've got, yeah. yeah. And, uh, when Lucy and I saw it together, she almost gasped and was like, look how skinny he is. And, you know, of course, uh, if you've paid attention to anything, you know, that he lost 52 pounds, which I I read one reviewer that said, how the frick did Joaquin Phoenix, who already, uh, chain smokes and is a vegan, how could he lose 52 more pounds? (laughs) I heard him talking, I think to Kimmel, I was watching clips and, and Kimmel was like, so how do you do that? And he's like, well, you just don't eat. What happens when you go out? Well, you don't go out. You just get to a point where your body doesn't want food. And he's like, no, you want food. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's another version of this, though, is when he's dying his hair green and he's dancing in the bathroom Mm -hmm. with uh, with his like saggy whitey tidies on. Yeah. And yet again, it, it it's almost inhuman the the physicality of that scene. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a human, but he just looks so different. Yeah, from what I expect a normal human being to look like, and it's the same kind of physicality. But to Joaquin's credit, it's transformed. Mm-hmm. He's no longer hunched over trying to deal with you know the rules that are provided to him and that constrain him. He's now free to move as he sees fit. He's at liberty. Yeah. Uh, just incredible physicality as an actor. Yeah. I did um, read. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to, you'd mentioned that opening scene. We, uh, we talked about this with Tony Collette in hereditary, but we sent, we spend so much time up in Arthur's face. Um, and that opening scene where he's kind of making himself smile with the clown makeup on and there's a tear rolling down his cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip said that was all him, that Joaquin somehow managed to squeeze out a single tear. There was no, you know, they didn't come in and add water or anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand being able to control your body that minutely, but yeah. I'm sure impressed by it. Yeah. It, I know it takes a lot to do stuff like that for sure. Um, what I was going to talk about is uh, I'd love to take a few moments to just talk about how beautifully haunted that scene in the bathroom is after he shoots the original uh, <clears throat> my goodness I'm so sorry um, after he shoots the the frat boys or the you know whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. in the in the subway uh, yeah man it, haunting and beautiful are the exact things to to ascribe to that scene yeah it just it blows my it blows my mind both times watching that uh, watching the movie is that was the point where I think I got goosebumps and was just I was like well I mean this is this is Joaquin Phoenix's Magnus Opum you know like this is this might be the one he's remembered for more than anything else and it works so well in the movie that yeah. you know initially Arthur is panicked and he's frightened. But when he's able to collect himself, I mean, that's that's the scene where the Joker's born, right? Mm-hmm. He moves from terror over the consequences of what he's done to, I mean, basically, he I think he's dancing to the music of the art he's created you know, yeah. uh, in those murders. And I, I think I spent most of the movie both times leaning forward to watch it. Mm-hmm. But I was probably never more engrossed than I was in that bathroom scene where he's dancing. Yeah. You can tell so much is happening right there. Yeah, it's it, it is the one thing that will stand out for me, um, you know, 10 years from now mm-hmm. is is that that scene. And it apparently it was completely ad libbed. Oh, like he apparently was supposed to go into the bathroom and like vomit and have consequences, you know, think about the consequences to his actions. And in one of the takes, Joaquin just started dancing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, again, I mean, just. Unreal performance by that guy. Yeah, you know, you talked about, and this is the last thing I'll I'll say, I think, about his performance. But uh, you talked about not being really sympathetic because you know where it's going. I really felt like they hooked my heart in that opening scene. Now, uh, we saw it, I think, in a trailer uh, mm-hmm. where he's chasing the kids. They hit him with a board. Um, but, you know, when they leave him laying in the alley... Um, and he's just kind of trying to cover up his wounds or whatever. When he reaches out for that board, um, it just kind of broke my heart. You know, yeah. that uh, this is a guy who's like, 
he's trying to do what's right, even though he's just been brutally attacked. And, um, yeah, again, that scene just grabbed me emotionally. But I was, again, watching some stuff with Phillips, and I didn't notice this on either watch, but he says that you see Arthur reach toward his midsection while he's laying there. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just thought he was kind of covering up internal injuries, you know? Mm-hmm. But he says what he does is reaches over and squeezes his uh, the, the squirting clown lapel uh, flower. Oh. He reaches over and squeezes that a couple times. And makes water squirt out of that that clown gag. And yet again, uh, Todd Phillips, man, he's setting up that Arthur's sense of humor is is entirely out of step with what most people think it's going to be. And we're going to see that really bloom at the end of the movie. You know, it's kind of a gag moment. Even as he's laying there suffering, it's kind of this dichotomy within him, the the evil clown versus the guy who wants to do what's right. Yeah. And it's all right there in the first, what, five minutes of the movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I, I didn't know that either. That's, um, <clears throat> excuse me again, that's really amazing um, story building. Yeah. And world, like uh, this movie, I, this movie is not beautiful, but to set it in a trash strike and to have a Gotham that's just always looming down on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I'm drawing on this well quite a bit, but Philip said even, you know, Arthur's employment, he wanted to make sure that it was set under a bridge. And I didn't notice this either, but he said ha-has or whatever rented out clowns, but also strippers. Okay. And he said he wanted it to seem like this was like the seedy underbelly of the city, that the city was always looming over Arthur. Obviously, those stairs do that. But, you know, when I reali- when I found that out, even Arthur's clown job, when you associate it with like s- sex workers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it starts to become there starts to be this motif of like human trafficking. Right. We're just trotting these people out for dollars so they can perform in whatever way you want, you know, do with them whatever you want, as long as you're paying. And uh, it, it's just a again, it's not beautiful, but it's an incredibly skilled building of the world that Arthur has to live in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. That is, <clears throat> that's crazy. I think I may end up buying this movie, not because I like the movie in conclusion, not to give too much away, but because I really want to hear that director's commentary. Yeah. Yeah, that would be difficult not to not to want to listen to for sure. Yeah. So Todd Phillips, man, he's got a he's got a real fastball. I guess yeah. I guess I, I had my expectations exceeded by him as a storyteller. Yeah, you know, again, it's just it's difficult to think that the dude that made The Hangover made this movie. Yeah, or old school, you know. Yeah, uh, I guess I should just remember that there's a lot of talented people in Hollywood, and sometimes they're kind of stuck. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. if they get not typecast, but they get pigeonholed. Pigeonholed, yeah. Um, I shouldn't expect that that's all they can do. Yeah, that's that's really true. Uh, I mean, you, you know, I guess it's the same thing with with Robin Williams. You know, yeah. Robin Williams was such a tremendous comedic actor th- that when he did do serious stuff, you were like, oh, yeah, Robin Williams coming right. in, uh, you know, Dead Poet Society. Um, the, the one that always stands out to me was One Hour Photo, which I don't yeah. think is is the best movie ever. But his performance in it is just it's it's almost like this to a lesser degree. It's just you can't take your eyes off of him the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, to, in that same vein, I remember kind of realizing what kind of chop Steve Carell had. Yeah. I don't know if it was Little Miss Sunshine or if it was Foxcatcher, but where you're just like, oh, my gosh, this guy could be good at anything he wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's not Michael Scott. He's not, um, you know, he's not the the romantic comedy lead. Like this dude can, this dude's got serious acting chops. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's you know it's it's nice to see people who are maybe uh, again pigeonholed into one category be able to branch out and do other things and and really strut their stuff. So yeah. more more power to Todd Phillips on this. <clears throat> I want to talk about the supporting cast for a minute because they really bring uh, heavy hitters to all these roles hmm. and now, now the roles may not be worth their worth their stature but i think that there's not a there's not a bad actor in this entire like supporting cast that's absolutely true 
Uh, the other, and even the casting just shows that you know it's it's a tired trope at this point. But chess versus checkers, mm-hmm. you know, having De Niro play the foil. I mean, this the closest parallel to this movie that I know of is De Niro's Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. and there's Travis Bickle hosting a hosting a comedy show that uh, that Arthur fantasizes would would basically provide the dad that he never had until he realizes he's you know Murray's going to make fun of him. Yeah, it's it's just four D, man. It really is. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just it's really great. And, uh, you know, Brett Cullen playing Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's not somebody I would have originally expected to play Thomas Wayne. But if you're going to get and, – and again, I feel like that this is Arthur's interpretation of the man. If you're going to get somebody to play a sleazy dirtbag Thomas Wayne, that's, that's the, the guy, guy to do it. Yeah, he's, he's basically a, a street tough who's made good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I love Marin being in it. I wish he was in it a little bit more, but what did he play? I didn't. He, pl- he played. Uh, he played Murray's stage manager, or the guy that was like, "Hey, he yes. doesn't need to go on tonight." Is that Mark Marin? I didn't That's recognize him at all. Awesome. Yeah. I knew he was in it, but I didn't recognize him. Yeah, uh, and so you know he's. He's doing that, and uh, Zazie Beats is really great in this yeah. movie. Francis uh, Francis Conroy is great as his mother, uh, and you know, and, and here's something I I want to commend them on this because oh, I, did you see the trailers for this movie? No, I tried to stay away. I saw okay. one right before it came out in a movie that I was watching in the theater, and I couldn't avoid it. Yeah. So I saw the like sign get smashed over his face scene. Okay, so excuse me. There's uh there's a scene or the the trailer is almost cut to where he has like severe mommy issues. Sure. Um, and I didn't feel that in watching the movie. I yeah. feel like that this is a this is a man devoted to taking care of his mother mm-hmm. and making sure that she has the best quality of life. But in the trailer, you're like, oh, there's something sexual going on there. Huh. Um, and I, I say that because other people have said that to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, one friend of mine said, I'm not going to go watch a movie where this guy's got like severe mommy issues and maybe wants to like have sex with his mom. And I said, well, that's not the case. Like I, I felt the same way watching the trailer, but after watching the movie, it's just a guy who is just fiercely protective of his mother. Yeah. Um, and, and trying you know, to do told, the right thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Trying to do the right thing. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that they didn't go that route with it because uh, I, I was I was worried about it. Yeah, but well, I thought that Francis Conroy did uh, an amazing job. Uh, yeah, just uh, I mean, top to bottom, man. Even the kid that plays Bruce Wayne, I thought, you know, he obviously doesn't have much to do, but he he maximizes his minutes. Yeah. Can I ask you? I know this is off a little bit from the acting performance. Um, I, I want to ask you about these last two characters you mentioned. One, the young Bruce Wayne. Uh, did you did you see that him? Uh, you know, when he jumps out of his treehouse to come talk to Arthur and he slides down the pole. Did you see that as an homage to the '60s Batman series? I thought the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Fine minds think alike. I'm going to just yeah. assume that was it. Yeah. Um, what are we supposed to make of his mom's idea that? Uh, that Arthur is Thomas Wayne's love child, illegitimate son. I don't think it's true. Yeah. So the, I mean, I, that's what I want really from the movie. But the, at the very end, after he's already killed his mom, you see him pull that photo off her vanity. Uh, it's yep. a photo of herself, and at the back it says, "Love your smile, always love your smile, Thomas Wayne." Yeah. Uh, so that's the one like fly in the ointment for me. One is this a is this something she made from her own delusions? Or is this supposed to say maybe the idea that this child was found abandoned and adopted isn't isn't what we you know the state thought it was? I I think that um, I think that it was just uh, delusions of grandeur. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, I think that the, she I think she made that up. You know, there's a what, what was she like diagnosed with narcissism and delusions of grandeur and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like that. Oh, and, and maybe he maybe he did do that. Right. Like yeah. he also I mean, again, if we're going the Trumpian route with Thomas Wayne, that would be something that he would do. See, that's the I hate the idea 
of Joker and Batman being brothers. Uh, yeah. And so I want to not have that. But I feel like Phillips, that picture just kind of drops it in. So like everything else with a movie, we can't be comfortable about any understanding. Right. Um, and, and really, Joker, he takes it off the vanity, looks at it, and he crumples it up and says it doesn't matter. And I think that's Phillips kind of character building. But I also like for me, it does matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, OK, well, then let's let's talk about this, because I feel like that, that this is a, a easy way to transition into it. Is this movie even real? Yeah, I don't I don't know what to do with that. Is it all taking place in his head? Yeah. I, again, I don't want that to be true as black as this movie is. Right. Because the Joker exists in the comics. Yeah. And the the place he ends up with a crowd of devoted followers um in an, a mental institution where he kills the people caring for him, that stuff's all documented in the comics. And so I have to think there's some outside of his own head that got us there. Mm -hmm. But it could be delusional. It absolutely could be. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they throw that, that scene, that one small snippet in of Arthur smashing his head into the glass in the mental hospital to make you think like, Oh, maybe this is all just made up. Yeah, for sure. Maybe he's been in there the whole time. And, And the way that they, the way that they cut from the chaos scene to him being back in the mental hospital makes you wonder. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and am I wrong? That was the same worker, right? The same caseworker, or was it? Or is it? Or am I just racist and that was a completely different person? I think they were a different person. I okay. read. I saw it as different people. Um, okay. Speaking yet again of masterful storytelling, how about that caseworker? So. Again, this is a movie that leaves no... There's no good guys in this movie. You basically have the short person who's a decent guy and the file manager at Arkham who are decent guys, but there's no real hero. Yeah. Um, When you have... I think it'd be easy to be like, yes, see, the Joker is a product of... Uh, the government cutting funding for mental health care. But the last time those two talk, Arthur tells her, you never listen to me. I come in every day and you haven't heard me one bit. And and when her response to that is just to tell him we don't meet anymore. And so like it's not like the government was actually caring for him. They might have been providing some medicine for him, but in terms of human care, none at all. Yeah. So you you can't really it, again, it doesn't fall into easy categories. The protesters are not the good guys and represent the side of the angels, neither does the government. You know, I mean, yeah. It, it's just really great storytelling. I know I've been yeah. saying that over and over, but I I'm, I'm just blown away at how well this story was crafted. Yeah. Well, let me push back on that just a smidge. She also says, they don't give a crap about you, Arthur. And honestly, they don't give a crap about me either. Yeah, but the person saying that we just saw doesn't give a crap about Arthur either. Yeah. You know, you, you ask if I have negative thoughts. I have nothing but negative thoughts. And she just keeps asking the same questions. I just feel right. like everybody in this movie sucks. Yeah. No, they do. And again, it doesn't give you any easy outs to be like, oh, that's who, you know, that's who the good guys were. That's who the bad guys were. It's just a whole city of garbage, literally. Yeah. Um, um, But I guess to to go back to is it all in this head or what's going on? You know, you've got that, again, setting up seeds of of doubt where, um, you know, his girlfriend, we are you're led to believe that she is she's his girlfriend. You know, he's he's had this moment of clarity where he he murders the frat boys and then he just he goes to her apartment and gives her the big heroic kiss. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then she's supposed to, you know, she goes with him to the comedy club and, um, you know, she's there with him when his mom's in the hospital and all this other stuff. And then does he meet Thomas Wayne? Is that is that the part where he meets Thomas Wayne and Thomas punches him in the face and and uh, well, he, or or is it after he kills his mother where he goes to her apartment and she's freaked out? Oh and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's and that's where you realize like, oh no, this has never been. Which I, I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I I saw that coming. See, actually, I didn't, and I, I figured you did. I actually thought it was a weakness of the movie. I thought there's there's no way, man. 
he is too much of a screwball and she is a pretty young woman. She's never going to be with him. This is stupid. Yeah. You can't just shoehorn a love interest in for him. Yeah. Uh, and then when when the reveal took place, I feel like an idiot. I feel like, yeah, of course I should have seen that coming. Yeah, I just I leaned um, the first time I saw it, I leaned over to my buddy and I said, there's no way that this is real. And he said, you sure? I was like, yeah, dude, there's no way that this beautiful woman with a child is going to have any kind of romantic interest in this odd guy who <laughs> who mimics blowing his brains out as a way of flirting with her. Yeah, uh, 100%. I just, I thought it was Todd Phillips having to shoehorn uh, yeah. a pretty young thing in and... I felt stupid when the reveal happened. Yeah, I, um, I'll tell you the other thing. I thought I thought she's going to become Selena Kyle, or her daughter's going to become Selena Kyle. Oh, okay. Uh, because that uh, Zazie Beats kind of looks like she she has longer hair, but she kind of looks like the depiction of Selena Kyle in uh, Batman Year One. Okay. So, anyway, I don't think that's going on either. But that was the other thing that was running through my head. One, it's stupid. Yeah. She would never date him. And two, she, one of these characters is going to turn out to be Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean that would have been pretty cool if that if that's the case. If they uh, again, hopefully they don't build a world around this around this Gotham City. I don't I don't think my little Batman loving heart could take it. Yeah, me either. I don't. I really don't know if I would go back and watch it. I mean, I say that I probably would, but I would come out feeling really frustrated. Yeah, and gross. Yeah. Um, but, but again, the, I, I bring it all back to like, that's, uh, I mean, obviously that was what Todd Phillips is wanting you to do. He's wanting you to question everything, Yeah. but, uh, it does make me wonder if Arthur has just made this whole thing up in his head and, and, uh, you know, and, and if so, that's a great nod to the Joker, because if, if you've ever read the killing joke, you know that the Joker himself is an unreliable narrator. He, he gives a story about. You know how his wife had a baby, or his wife was pregnant with a baby, and he was a ne'er do well, uh, mm -hmm. you know, stand up comic who was going nowhere. And um, he robs a he agrees to rob this chemical factory to make some money. The day of, his wife and child die in a random electrical fire. Uh, and he still has to go through with the with the robbery. There's complications. They meet Batman. He falls into an acid pit, and he comes out looking like the Joker. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of that graphic novel, he tells Batman, sometimes I don't even know what's real about my past. And honestly, if I wanted to have a past, I wanted to be multiple choice. And I, that was one of the brilliant things I thought about the Heath Ledger version because he continues to give different stories. Sure. Um, and so with that, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a nod to the comic books and stuff. And so I don't know. I, I would I, I want to say that it was all real, but there's also part of me that goes, I could see them messing with people and, and not having any of it be real. But at the same time, he obviously kills that social worker at the end of the movie uh -huh. and then goes on that crazy Charlie Chaplin-esque race at the end of it. And it works too, right? It works yeah. that that's the quote unquote origin of the Joker. He's had right. this fantasy and kills his coworker. And that's how we're going to see the Joker turn loose on society. Like yeah. both really work. So it's a, uh, it's definitely a very nuanced, um, a very skillful story that's being told. Well, you said gross a minute ago, and I wanted to run this by you. The other thing this movie does that, again, stops me from saying good movie, but really encourages me to say great film, mm -hmm. is that it makes you suck as well. It makes you a bad guy. Um, there's uh, there's three times I was drawn into this movie, and people in my theater laughed along with me. One, when he's in the cancer ward playing If You're Happy and You Know It, which, by the way, talk about... Oh, my goodness. Uh, talk about a juxtaposition. A dichotomy? Yes. Yeah. But he starts stomping his foot, and the gun falls out, and he clownishly chases after it, and then stuffs it under his shirt and says, shh. My theater laughed out loud at that, dude. Yeah. Um... Then when he has the confrontation with the beat cops after his mom is hospitalized mm -hmm. and he kind of has this moment of triumph where he tells them, 
you know, basically screw off. I've got to go take care of my mom. And he flips the, the cigarette at them. But then he straight up walks into the glass door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laughed uproariously at that. And uh, and in the last one, I don't know how you felt about it, but when the short person can't get out of the apartment. Oh, dude, I, I laughed. I laughed till I cried. Yeah. And so what I was telling uh, some people I talked to about the movie with is this movie makes me a jerk for laughing at people suffering. Yeah. And like you realize, Todd Phillips has somehow made me part of Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well said. Uh, so it's disturbing in that way. I, I'm not I'm not happy that I'm the kind of guy who laughs at, you know, to, to just frame it as harshly as possible. Yeah. Uh, the misfortune of a midget who can't get out of a locked room that he's in with a sociopath. Yeah. Uh, that laughs at a guy walking into a door when he's, you know, uh, being crushed by society. Uh, yeah. But I did. And so I feel like I'm just as bad as Thomas Wayne or anybody else in that movie. Yeah, well said, sir. I never really thought about it that way. I I also didn't laugh at the gun or I think I did at the door. But I know I, I uproariously laughed at the uh, the midget situation. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I did it all three. And uh, I'm not trying to, like, find safety numbers. I'm just saying there were other people in the theater with me. And so I oh, think— yeah. I think they're. I think that's one of the things Phillips is doing. Is kind of pulling us in, and saying, "Are you really any better?" Yeah. Not not a not a convenient look at yourself. You know, not a, not a right. Look. Yeah. I, well, the, you know, and again, it's it's we all want to be the heroes of our story. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I want to think that if I encountered Arthur, I would I would make different choices. Sure. But even in watching his story, I'm laughing at him. Yeah. Uh, th- just the last thing I've got there, man, is I feel like this movie really does capture, like the Joker is the avatar of relativism. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just have to own this. I'm a guy who believes in objective good and objective evil uh, mm-hmm. because of my religious commitments. So I believe that God is the basis of objective good. And I believe things that are contrary to the character of God are the basis of objective evil. Um, and I, I realize I'm in the minority uh, on that. But, you know, he Joker tells Murray, you people decide what's funny in the same arbitrary fashion. You decide what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm just tired of playing by your games. And I really feel like he's got a good point there. Yeah. If everything's relative, how do we how do we criticize anybody's choices? Right. We like relativity when it allows us to do the things that we want to do. But we start getting uncomfortable with it when we see people like Arthur doing the stuff they want to do. Sure. I think this movie asks us, well, I mean, why? Is that hypocritical? Or is there is there something wrong with the way we view the world? Yeah. And I, I, I'm not going to try to push my conclusions on anybody else. I just think the movie does a really good job of kind of saying, like, this is what we say is our highest value. We want people to be able to self-express. Are we sure we're cool with that? Yeah. Yeah, well said, man. Well, That's a... I mean, I just I'd never thought about it that way. But, yeah, I mean, well, well said in that area. Uh, This, you know, when you when you sit down and you talk with a buddy about this movie, this movie is very uh, it's just more than you expected it to be. For sure, man. That's the that's the best description I could apply to this movie. Yeah. I mean, you think this is the Oscar winner? Uh, I I don't know if um, I don't know if, if the Academy will allow itself to give a movie like this its best picture award. I think that's a real question. Um, I have seen, I think it's a Korean movie called Parasite, uh-huh. bandied about as film of the year. But, I mean, other than Endgame, what movie this year compares to Joker? Yeah. Uh, Midsummer. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess I'm going to eventually have to watch that thing. But yeah. I can tell you right now how I'd cast my vote, having never seen Midsummer. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what about this? Is this Best Actor? I mean, I, I think right now it has to be. I, I, I don't. I can't think of any other performance this year that has captivated me like Joaquin Phoenix in this movie has captivated me. I'm one hundred percent with you, and, and I, I think that you know Heath Ledger paved the way for comic book movies with gravitas to be able to be rewarded the way that they should be rewarded. Uh huh. So I, I think he's a front runner. But again, I feel like that there are a lot of hot button topics that maybe even Todd Phillips didn't want to discuss in this movie that are going to be pulled out of this movie and discussed that maybe the Academy has a difficult time rewarding. Sure. Proper. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's ex- exactly right. I just looking at the slate of films this year, I don't know where you go to find an alternative. Yeah. And maybe something comes out in the next month or two that flips that. I just haven't seen that movie yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're getting into Oscar season now. Um, you know, of course, with uh, from Thanksgiving through Christmas, usually is when it feels like, you know, that's that's when the Oscar bait movies come out and, and we start seeing things like that happen. So um, it'll be curious to see if anything can beat it. Uh, but, I mean, as of right now, man, there's just there's nothing. Yeah. Leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, for sure. But I'll be curious to see. I'll be curious to see how the Academy votes on it and, and what they say about it, because, you know, you've already heard you've already heard uh, some backlash on this movie because, oh, it promotes violence amongst, you know, people with mental illness and uh, don't go watch it in theaters because, you know, you never know if somebody's going to come to your theater with a gun. And <sighs> can I can I just interject there real quick? Please do. I got to the point where with the media, I felt like they were rooting for that to happen and trying to stir yeah. it up where it would. 110%. Because, I mean, every headline, still none. We still expect it, though. Yeah. And even this movie owns it. You know, the opening lines of the movie is basically something about the perpetual news cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, the news never ends. All the news you need all the time and stuff like that. And I thought, how ironic that the movie opens up with, like, media drives a lot of the craziness in society. And mm-hmm. Feeds off of it, and it's actually happening with the movie. Like I really felt like people writing for the AP were like, "Can we get a sh- can we get a mass shooting, please? This movie needs yeah. a mass shooting." Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's. I mean, you know, there's no reason to go into like we, we try to be as apolitical as possible on this show. Um, so I'm not really going to dive into it. But man, what a <laughs> maybe! Uh, and again, maybe that's something that Todd Phillips is trying to talk about. Is like, look how crazy our society is when we're openly rooting for uh, a mass shooting to happen to justify our position for a movie yeah. of this, you know, of this nature. Ah. Yeah, and maybe I'm maybe I'm grasping for straws on that, but it just well, I'm with you. I think it's possible. it's insane. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just insane. I, I you would hope that we're better than that, but I mean, did I laugh like at a midget trying to get out of a murder room? Yeah, I don't know if I'm better than that, but I, I really think it's possible that Phillips kind of prophetically saw that. Yeah. Also, the guy that uh, Arthur kills in that, um, I forget his name, but the guy who gives him the the gun and then rats him out and stuff, uh, that dude is so good at playing horrible people. (laughs) That should be on his, like, IMDb page. Yeah. You know, he's the Yellow King in the first season of True Detective. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, if you ever watched Hannibal um, on NBC, he is... Um, Mason Verger's nurse who is trying to like show him how to kill Hannibal Lecter and keep him alive and stuff. I forget this. I forget the guy's name. Um, but just he pops up on he pops up on all these shows. He was in Barry on HBO with uh, with Bill Hader. Uh, and he's just always like the evil sleazeball. But he's always so good at it. Yeah. And every time he shows up, I'm, I always like. I'm always excited to see him, but I'm like, you're going to be a dirtbag and I'm not going <laughs> to like you, but you do such a great job playing it. So I'm really glad you're here. Right. Right. Hey man, it keeps, keeps getting him work, right? Hey, absolutely. Whatever, whatever it takes, man, to keep, you know, keep food on your table. I I applaud you, sir. Yeah. Oh, um, dude, I think I pretty much emptied my bag on this one. I don't know. You got anything else to talk about? Just one last thing to throw at you. And I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, I'm I'm doing an interview with this uh, a film critic for my other podcast and kind of setting that up. I asked him if he'd seen Joker yet, and uh, he hadn't, but he was going that day. And he said, basically, what'd you think? And I told him, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but I was blown away by Joaquin Phoenix. I think you're going to enjoy that part of it. And he pointed out that if Phoenix is as good in this as we all think he is, and he wins an Oscar for Best Performance, within, I think it's 11 years, two Oscars will be given out to actors playing the Joker. Mm. Uh, Ledger won for Best Supporting, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously Joaquin would be up for Best, but that's pretty amazing. That's that's yeah. pretty stunning, considering, again, the comic book origins of the character. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Can, oh, okay, so I, I guess I do have something left. You said that you watched the Kimmel interview on this? Yeah. Do you think that that was staged, or do you think that there was real tension there? Dude, Joaquin is just a different dude. I have thought, it's 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 interesting you bring that up. I thought about that long and hard. I don't think it's staged. I think he's just really different. I don't, I just, I don't know, you know, because he, he went on Letterman a few years ago and people were like, oh, that's the end of his career. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I do think that that was staged. And in fact, I think that this uh, Joker movie plays off of what we all know about Joaquin Mm -hmm. doing Letterman. But I, I do think that was more performance art. But, you know, there with Kimball, he's cutting up a couple times. He gets really embarrassed when he brings up the, the, the clip of the guy uh, who was whispering that Joaquin chews out. Yeah. And then he's kind of awkwardly silent a couple times. I just think that's who the dude is. Yeah. I just, I guess, like, I enjoy Jimmy Kimmel a lot. And it just feels like a real D-bag move to, like, bring that clip up without walking, knowing about You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Sure. And see, that that's why this feels authentic to me. Like, Joaquin's like, I wish you hadn't done that. Yeah. You know, like, that. that's what a normal people, person would do. But we're so used to it being abnormal when people are on, you know, you got to put the, the happy. I mean, it's basically what Joaquin's character is practicing in The Joker when he's trying to get ready to go on Murray, right? We're used to people just being like, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to smile. Yeah. And Joaquin kind of refreshingly is like, ah, gosh, I'm I'm embarrassed. Yeah. You know? See, and that's that's the reason why I feel like it might be staged, because it feels so much like what happens in the movie. Well, okay. I, I can't argue with that at all. And maybe the simulation's just getting too real. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I don't think that you're wrong in saying, like, that is just the kind of person that Joaquin Phoenix is. He's but, one of the few people that we would think would that this would actually be how he would respond authentically. Yeah. Um, I, it's one of the reasons why I love watching or I loved watching Harrison Ford do late night stuff because he hates it. Yeah. And there's been often times where like I've just seen him like curse out the host because he's like, I hate this so much. And uh, I just always thought it was hysterical to, to see happen. But uh, yeah, you could be onto something there with that. Just, you know, that's Joaquin being Joaquin. I don't know. Well, buddy, my bag is now empty, too. I, I do yeah. think he deserves an Oscar. And I'm going to be pretty I'm going to be pretty giddy when him and Heath Ledger separated by just a little bit more than a decade. Bring home an Oscar for the performance. Yeah, uh, I agree, man. I, I think there's nothing else that I can think of this year, um, save one uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark that compares to this. But even then, I don't think that I think that's different different categories. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so, all right, well let's let's get to it, man. Um, I'm gonna go. Did we see something scary first? Uh, I'm not gonna say scary. I did. I did see something profoundly disturbing. Um, it looks like. The way people get mistreated and the way people embrace darkness. And like I said, I feel like I got roped into it to a degree. And so I was profoundly disturbed, if not scared. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll agree with that. There's, there's very, there's, I was unsettled. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't scared. There was never a point where I was like, oh, this is terrifying. Um, I guess I was scared for the, for the short person in the apartment. Sure. I guess I was scared for him for a little bit. Sure. Um, and he does a great job being the, you know, I think you said it already, being like the, the one nice guy in this movie. Yeah. Um, so you really do feel sympathy for the guy when, you know, all this is going on. I know the second time I watched it, when it got to, you know, when he kills Randall uh, and then the that guy is just in the apartment and he runs out the door and you realize, oh no, he can't get the latch. Uh, I know that there was audible gasps in my theater where people were like, oh no, they're you know, he's going to kill this guy too. Yeah. So I felt it. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Here's the one that I've been waiting on. On a scale of one to ten, what are you going to rank this movie? I am going to rate this a nine. Okay. Um, so I, our rating system kind of, I don't know, I, I can't square up with it very well with this movie. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is pretty much perfect as an example of filmmaking. I can't say it's a good movie, though, because there's no there's no real goodness in the movie. 
Yeah. And I've said it on here before. Uh, I don't expect every listener to agree with me, but that's something that I like about horror movies is that it's still a place to go and be like, oh, that evil thing needs to be fought by good people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the real world, as dark as it is, does contain elements of goodness. And I want movies to reflect that to some degree. And so I've been telling people, you'll be captivated. You'll see one of the most skillfully created films I've ever seen in my life. I just can't tell you it's a good movie. And so that's going to cost it the point. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a great point. Um, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Um, uh, for what you said, it's it's a very deeply disturbing movie. And it's uh, it's not a movie that I particularly want to give my approval to. Yeah, that, that well said, sir. Exactly right. But at the same time, it is, uh, again, a masterful film and a master class in, um, you know, in watching this actor try to portray mental illness to its most complete. And, and, and you know, a lot of times you see mental illness played for laughs. I remember me, myself, and Irene where Jim Carrey was playing the guy with multiple personalities and that's, you know, it's just a comedy and it's, it's, it's almost the Jekyll and Hyde of, of, um, you know, the 21st century. Uh, so for, for those reasons, I think it's a, it's a tremendous movie, but it, it is hard. It's hard to watch. It's hard to, it's hard to want to put your seal of approval on it, but also uh, I give it an eight because it it didn't need to involve characters that I I already love to make it the movie that it is. Yeah. So I uh, you know I want to take the I want to take the points away from there, but I I've told people like don't don't miss it. You definitely need to watch it and you definitely need to form. It's one of those movies where I feel like you're going to form your own opinion, regardless of what you hear from other people. Right. So Mm -hmm. like I, I, I value your opinion, um, not only as my co-host, but as my friend, but I needed to see this movie for myself to try to figure out what I thought about it. Sure. You know, you know, oftentimes you could be like, yeah, I watched so-and-so and it was a good movie. You should go watch it and I'll go check it out. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm glad Jeff recommended that movie for this one. I feel like you just need to go in and watch it. And, uh, I know that sounds probably weird to say on a podcast where we review movies and we want you to value our opinion, but this is a, this is a different kind of animal <laughs> yeah. all, all the way around. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'll stick with an eight, but I'll just say go and, and make your own opinions. And and if you've, you know, I have heard from a couple of our listeners who have uh, who've watched the movie. Uh, one has watched it multiple times, and uh, she and I had a conversation about it, and uh, she automatically loved the movie. And uh, you know, uh, this was after I had watched it for the first time, and I said I don't really feel. Like I can make a decision on it yet, but when I do, you'll be the first person I talk to about it. We've since had conversations about it since then. Um, but if you if you have watched the movie, I would love for you to give your opinion on it. Uh, of course, you can go to the We Saw Something Scary Facebook group, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us um, as a group uh, to uh, to let us know what your opinion is on it. And I, you know, I. There's part of me that wants to go see this movie again, but there's also part of me that doesn't think I have the stomach to see it again. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So it's a it's a really interesting movie that I, I haven't been able to really put my finger on. Like, is it what is it? <laughs> so I, I'd be I'd love to hear it from other people. Yeah, me too. I think this movie invites conversation, and I've Absolutely. enjoyed hours. I'd love to see it extended. Yeah. Hey, I, I will just, because we both love it, I, I think you and I agree that this is a darker version, but nonetheless a faithful carrying on of what Ledger started, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you posed the question earlier in the episode, or, or uh, somewhat posed the question earlier in the episode, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it, and, you know, we'll... We can end the we can end the episode on this. Um, I don't think that Joaquin Phoenix is a better Joker than Heath Ledger. Um, I think that Heath Ledger's Joker is the final form of the Joker. Hmm. I think that Joaquin Phoenix is learning how to become the Joker. Huh. Um, so I I don't think that it's okay. Well, I mean, you know, because again, it's quote unquote the origin story of the Joker. So that's that's what we're you know that's what we're seeing. But I I almost feel like that. In a weird way, you could make them companion pieces outside of that last little bit where he may or may not have killed the social worker or it may or may not all be in his head. But you could almost 
you could almost say that like it's a prequel to the Heath Ledger Joker. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. For sure. And so I'm assuming that you also geeked out when we had that kind of homage to Ledger when he's riding in the back of the police car. Oh, yeah. And he's got his face looking at it, all the destruction. He's grinning. Yeah. I was really thankful that was in there. I thought that was a classy way to to tip the tip the cap to, mm-hmm. to Heath. Yeah, I, I did as well. I thought it was a really great um, little part of it. And of course, there's been a lot of uh, memes and funny stuff that have come up from that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I need to get in and look that up then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm i going to say just because we see uh, Joaquin so little as the Joker, I can't say that it's a better version, but I think that it's the I think it's the prequel version to what we see as Heath Ledger's final form. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, well said. That, that's a pretty good way to put a bow on it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, hey, man, it's good to come back and talk to you about movies and uh, I look forward to Look forward to talking to you later on this week about Zombieland. Yeah, man. We're going to get that uh, revisited, right? Yeah. Revisit that since Zombieland 2 comes out. We've, we're recording this on, what is today, Thursday? Yep. Yeah. So uh, as of today, as of tonight, Zombieland 2 is out in theaters. And uh, so we'll we'll revisit Zombieland uh, for this week's episode. And then next week we will give you guys a review on Zombieland 2. And we should be back to normal scheduling um, as of right now. So we wanted to give you this bonus episode of the Joker and then we'll, uh, we'll be back with a regular episode with Jeff H trailers and the horror reporter and all that stuff on zombie land. And then we're right back in the thick of things after that. So, uh, again, like I said, at the beginning of the show, thank you guys so much for being generous and patient with us over these last couple of weeks. And, um, we've missed you just as much as you've missed us. And we're happy to be back in. Well said, sir. Well said. So, all right. Well, hey, he's at right, Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo. We are out of time. Thank you guys so much for listening. Let us know what you think about this movie. We saw some of the scary Facebook group, and we will see you guys back here real, real soon. Until next time, uh, for Jeff, this is Derek reminding you to stay away from clowns and sewers, white people teacups, and blind men with turkey basters. See you guys next week. Bye-bye, man. Bye, man.